it's going to be interesting because for the next 10 days, I'll be sharing my bed with two dogs and a cat. I may as well just give them the bed and sleep on the couch. That's probably what's going to happen. No, I'm not going to do that. Because also, to be honest, and I know you get this, I sleep better oh, when absolutely. I have them with me. Like, absolutely. I'm, I'm so used to it. And I'm definitely one of those people that obviously, like, lets my pets on the bed and on the furniture. Because also, like, what do you think they're doing when you're not there? I know. I'm like, why have, like, what? Come on. They're, it's furniture. Calm down. So. But, um. Yeah, Sebastian's gonna have a run of the house all by himself, basically. Pretty much. I mean, like I said, we you might not forget about him. We might spend some nights over at your place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not gonna forget about him. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, don't. Anyways, hello everyone. Hi. This, this is, is Blood and Wine, episode fifteen. 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 I am Brittany. I'm Tyler. And we're very excited to be bringing you episode fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> Just gotta keep saying it. Like, 15. You know? Well, it's also like, whoa. Yeah. Didn't it, it just feels like we finished. Oh, remember what I told you when I said my friend told me that most podcasts don't make it past episode seven? Yeah. And I said that right before we were about to record eight. It honestly feels like eight through where we are now is a blur and it's almost doubling our uh, number of episodes. Yeah. It's kind of insane. I very much, and Brittany can attest to this, every time we are, um, like, picking a topic or everything, I'm always like, wait, what did we even talk about last week? Was that, did we do, like, kidnapping? No, that was three weeks ago. Okay, did we do, like... It's crazy how easy it is to forget what we literally did a week before also we haven't done kidnapping don't know why that was what popped into my head no but, but we'll add it to the list honestly of yeah potential topics um but yeah i mean on that note as we're excited to be on episode 15 don't forget we also have murder minis for our patreon subscribers yes we do so um, these murder minis you know quick uh, they're usually like generally about like, half an hour yeah 20 to 30 minutes smaller there's one that's like 18 one that's like 40 so i mean yeah you know there's there's smaller cases that d- definitely not smaller in like what they are because fuck no there's them. there's some intense but ones. uh smaller in like that they usually don't have a ton of detail or are a long story but um well and they're also they're not ones that we have done on a normal episode True. so it's it's information that the only way you can hear those from us are being a Patreon subscriber. And also, just one thing to totally put out there. I mean, just because the episodes are free, like on iTunes, etc., it doesn't mean it's free for us. True. Um, so your support definitely helps us continue this podcast. Oh, and absolutely. We love doing it. So just uh, uh, sh- show your love <laughs> and also get more content from us. True. <laughs> It's all true. It's, I feel like it's very much a win-win situation for our Patreon subscribers. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, and that's, like, one of the best channels to reach out to us. And, like, we can have a conversation, have a community going. Like, totally. Totally. I love it. So, um, but also, on top of that, be sure you do subscribe to our episodes mm, on iTunes, yes. Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all the things. All the things. Um, and you'll know when new episodes are released every Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I also want to um, give a shout out to our German listeners, mostly because I was checking our, like, 
listens today or I guess mm-hmm. yesterday because SoundCloud listens end at like 7 p.m. or what? Anyway, we had like 10 German listeners yesterday. That's so, so cool. But I want to give y'all a shout out. We love y'all. I mean, we love all of our listeners, but I think it's just the fact that we that podcasts and just the internet in general is such a global thing mm-hmm. that we can be sitting here in Texas recording and releasing, but that people like on the other side of the world are listening. I it's it blows my mind just how widespread this is it, and global. Yeah. We have global listeners. And speaking of, we are almost to a thousand listens. We'll yes. we'll be there before this episode posts and holy shit you guys. I know. We, this is so cool. It's thank you. It's been amazing. And I mean I'm yeah, this episode will be posted after we've hit a thousand I mean I'll say a couple weeks after. Yeah. But thank you so much. Y'all's support and listens, it means the world to us. I know. We just Or I guess it means the world to me. I don't know how you feel. (laughs) I feel the same. This is a dream that I've had for a while to do a a podcast Mm -hmm. and knowing that there are people out there enjoying what we're saying and listening to us, it's it's so cool. So yeah. I mean, talk talk to us. Let us know who you are. I know. Please. We love to again start the conversation absolutely so um there's probably gonna be just listeners fyi lots of cat noises in the background my cat is being a crackhead her mind right now she just tried to attack max (laughs) i i feel like i'm not i'm just gonna admit we're not gonna try to edit out all of that well we're gonna try to edit what we can but sorry (laughs) just the jingle bell is miss willow is that Um, a caller yeah, it's her collar. Oh. She has a little bell on it. Little bell. So cool. But yeah, all right. Well, tell me about uh, something new. What's going on with me in life? Well, mainly this week has been a week from hell. Just a little bit. It's it's actually been fine. It's been so busy because I'm gonna be gone for ten days. Yeah. And just trying She's to get a long time to be gone. Yeah, and I I'm gonna be working that time but working remote i just want to make sure that everything is like in place that i'm setting everyone up for success that my team is going to be able to survive with me gone sure they'll be fine they're capable adults but (laughs) god so it's it's been busy um and then i have the penchant for just taking on projects being like oh this needs to be done I'll do it. And then I'm like, I have four projects I'm doing right now and yeah. my job. Yeah. But, um, so it's overfilling that plate. A little, little bit. bit. Yep, a little bit. But no, it's been it's been good. It's been busy getting ready to go to Seattle. I'm excited to go. Haven't been since I moved. Yeah. Uh granted, I mean it's been like six months. So not that long actually. But um I'm excited to I just have this very clear image of me sitting on a bench on the pier, my phone being a hotspot and just working, you know, having oh, my coffee. That'll be fun. I know. I'm going to, there's a coffee shop in Pike Place yeah. that, okay, I'm going to shout them out because they are my favorite fucking coffee place in the world. Who is this? The this Storyville. Yes. So if you are in Seattle or traveling to Seattle, you know, you're probably going to go to Pike Place at some point. Uh, go to Storyville Coffee. So it's this coffee shop and they have two different kinds of coffee. They have the prologue and epilogue. 
Mm-hmm. The prologue, you know, the beginning of the story, is their caffeinated coffee for the morning. And their epilogue, you know, the ending of the story, is their decaf that's, um, you know, for night. So Which, that's how they name it. I love that naming. And I didn't realize that when we were there because I don't drink decaf. But no. I'm one of those people that can have a cup of coffee before bed and sleep just fine. Oh, same. I But I don't... need it in the morning to wake up. It's weird. Same. I... The, I have a couple friends who are like, Ooh, I cannot have caffeine after 2 p.m. And I'm like, what? How? Do you say, <laughs> what? <laughs> because I'm one of those people that it'll be like 3 or 4. And I'm like, I'm going to get me some coffee. But I'm also the kind of person in the morning that goes to the coffee shop. And I'm like, hi, can I have a quad shot? <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. Um, but anyway. Quad shot. Yes. But Storyville <laughs> Coffee, it um, is just this. You know, you go up these, like, creepy stairs, you know, you wind up, it's up, like, 35,000 flights, of, it's up, like, seven flights of stairs. Yeah. But it has a view, the windows overlook the water and the market. The coffee is incredible. So good. There are roasteries on Bainbridge Island, which is just on the other side of Puget Sound. Uh, so it's super local. Um, I know they have a Storyville also, like, um, downtown, not, like, uh, 10, 12 blocks south of Pike Place. Oh, but I've never been. Oh. It's on 2nd and I think Marion. Not that any of y'all who aren't there know what that means. Hey. Anyway, hey. Um, it's amazing. And the food, unreal. Yeah. Unreal. But to me, it really shows how much pride a place takes in their coffee when they like, we have regular or decaf. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I guess I so totally does, like, agree. Denny's has regular decaf, but <laughs> it, I feel like it's different. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Literally joking. Um, well, that's really cool, and I'm really excited that you're excited about your trip. Yeah, so anyway, I'm going to be sitting up there with a cup of coffee, if they have Wi-Fi, doing my work, hanging out with my Storyville peeps. I think that'll be perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I can introduce the topic that I picked. Absolutely. Since I was the loser. Loser. But also, yes, because I want to crack into this wine. I know. I keep looking at this bottle. Um, So the topic for this week is torture. Mm -hmm. And this is one where there's a lot of different ways to look at it because torture is used by killers or or even you know for victims who aren't killed in lots of different ways they yeah. incorporated in very different ways into their killings and the, their reasons behind the torture are very different so it's a very broad topic and i'm interested to see how we both are approaching it yeah um, and it's also one of those things that can be just a part of a killer's mm-hmm. mo and not necessarily the only thing they're doing yeah well that I will say this one, like, emotionally, is, like, up there in the hardest ones we've done. Because, I mean, torture just in and of itself is insanely difficult to read about. And even, you know, I I feel like when you think torture, a lot of times you think, like, medieval, like, Catherine wheels and the little spike that you sit on, it goes up your butt and splits you open. Yeah, I've read this big-ass article on, like, medieval torture stuff. It was crazy. Christians in, like, the 1400s were crazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking intense. Yeah. Um, but getting into, like, modern torture and stuff and just the shit that these the people 
put other people through is... Well, and <laughs> this topic is so broad that in all honesty, I can see us revisiting it. Because again, yeah. depending on... Like, for example, there are so many political and war type... Oh, absolutely. ...torture crimes that... I mean, spoiler alert, that's not the avenue I went down. But that's no. huge and just opens up so much more. Absolutely. I mean, there's... Tortures is one of those things like as long as there's been murder there's been torture yeah absolutely so so that um that's our pretty uh heavy topic for this wednesday night yeah you know we're gonna it's gonna be fun you know drink a couple bottles of wine shed a few tears maybe go to work in the morning i know whatever Whatever. which let's be real we were both a little hungover this morning because yeah we had two bottles of wine last night yeah so last night was an editing day and then just an overall rough day for both of us it was yeah and yes so i woke up this morning with a splitting headache but you know see mine wasn't too bad mine was definitely i was like okay what is the latest i can set my alarm and still be a human Eight thirty, it is <laughs> I know, yeah. I I wanted to sleep hours, hours more. Oh, yeah. But, hey, you know, whatever. Tell me about this wine. Let's drink it. Let's do it again. Let's be hungover tomorrow at work. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> so, this wine was one that we actually got from H-E-B. Yes. Uh, didn't, uh, you know, our second one, non from, not from Trader Joe's, which I'm just saying, TJ's, like, you know, if you sponsor us, we'll only get our wine from Trader Joe's, so... <laughs> just hint hint H-E-B send goes for you you know do get out fight yeah. over us although I am considering I really think we should get a wink box uh yeah just saying because they, their wines they would, are so they could cool. actually sponsor us they totally actually could sponsor hey, us hey wink but <laughs> I mean it's something I'm already a member and um I don't think I've ever brought this up that I've used Wink, but it's so cool because every month you can order multiple bottles. Um, If you order at least four, shipping is free. The wines are unique to Wink alone. Unique to Wink. And (laughs) so you can only get them there. And it's also, you know, once they're gone, they're gone. Highly recommend them. So I'm thinking we should do that. We should. I've never done a wine delivery thing. It's really cool. Um, so I would be definitely down for that. Yeah. And I'm just saying, like, fans, if y'all want to reach out to Wink and be like, yo, I love this podcast. They talk about wine and murder. You just sponsor them. I don't know why that's how y'all talk, but it is. So, you know, that'd be cool. Yes, totally. At them, at us. Yeah. But so this wine is, I picked it because the bottle it's is fucking gorgeous. gorgeous. It's very gives me like an art deco like great gatsby kind of vibe with very gold and black i love the label like i'm usually not a fan of real like fancy busy labels this Um, one pulls it off it does so this is the love noir satin red 2014 vinter select um it is a california blend and when looking up doing some research, I found a long-ass quote on their website that's a little bit written like a porno uh, oh, that describes the flavor. It? So I'm going to read it. Awesome. <clears throat> Let me get my porno voice ready. All right. Every wine has a darker side. Experience the sultry, fruit-forward flavors and seductive textures of Love Noir Satin Red. 
we've sourced some of California's finest grapes to deliver a smooth, polished wine with aromas of ripe red fruit, concentrated bold flavors, and a silky texture. Richness and decadence are balanced with supple structure to form layers of luxurious flavor from the first alluring sip to the last. Notes of dark cherry, fresh raspberry, and a hint of coffee spark intensity and intrigue, culminating in a smooth and silky finish with a touch of spice. Succumb to your urges and experience Love Noir. That's the description. So I'm going to be completely honest. I missed half of what you're saying because I was just focusing on the voice <laughs> you were making. And I my brain went to places like, oh, yeah, this sounds like one of those erotic, like an erotic podcast. Like that's what yes. it sounds like. <laughs> and so Someone is going to click on our podcast, see what it is. Like, randomly click to that and be like, oh, God, no. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it's, Sounds good. it's a, like, you know, well-profiled red blend. Seems to be on the, um, like, heftier side of blends. So, closer yeah. to, closer to a cab than a Pinot Noir. Which was one of my fears at first. Yeah. I was like, it's, you know, called Love Noir. Is it going to be a Pinot Noir? But I don't think so. No, it sounds more more along the lines of a cab. So let's open this up. So, and we're using our stemless glasses because I'm still waiting on someone to buy me new wine glasses. Okay, I will, I will, you will get them eventually. I know, but I'm just saying, how awesome would they have been for tonight's episode? We'll just use them for episode 16. Mm, probably not. Uh, <laughs> okay, fine. We use them for episode 16. That means whoever wins has to get a red, which I'm okay with. I'm okay with. Ooh. I'm very okay with. Always okay with the reds. Uh, I will. I wanted to look at it. Oh, yeah. It's not a cork. Um, dude, that's good. <laughs> you don't have to fill them up to the brim. Yeah, but I don't not have to. I mean, true. That is so not even. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll drink the whole thing anyway. Isn't that what you always say to me when I bitch about uh, you not filling my little white? Ooh. It smells really good. Mm -hmm. Oh, and it's also aged in a French oak barrel. Oh. Yeah, I saw that on the thing. I like it. I like it. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Not the best clean. I give it a. It's a four out of ten. Dimless glasses. I'm thinking of more along like, yeah, three and a half, four. Oh. I definitely taste. Did you say blackberry and cherry? Uh, ripe red fruit. Okay. Uh, well, cherries are raspberry, ripe fruit. dark cherry, hint of a coffee spark, which scared me when I read that. I was like, Oh my god! Oh god! <laughs> Don't be like. <laughs> The last one we had that had that, coffee. That wine. Yeah. Um, no, this not is good. Not to name names, but. <laughs> well, we've got that. Yeah. I, I taste chocolate. That's yeah. the other thing I taste. I just got it in the finish. And it is, it's not as heavy as the description made it sound. But it's not as light as a Pinot Noir. No, it's pretty, in my mind, like, 
a, just in the middle red blend. Yeah. But it has more flavors that I would associate with a cab, like the deeper yes. chocolates and the, you know, it's not. And that red berry. Yeah. Well, even with the berry, I don't think it's as fruit forward as it sounded like in the description. I'm I'm a fan. Yeah. No, I like it. This is a good one. So, um, with that, with our wine poured, tasted, I disclaimer, I don't really want to do this case. Like, it's just, it's a very difficult one. Yeah. It's one that I want to make sure I do justice. Um, and then personally for me, it's a very difficult one. Yeah. Well, all the cases we present, yeah. we hope that we're doing them justice. Absolutely. And... Well, and I... I don't mean like I don't want to do this one, but like this one was very heavy to research and it was, it's one oh, I, yeah. I knew a little bit of before. Well, it's, um, yeah, some of them are a little bit more triggers. Yeah. Kind of, I guess would be the right word. Yeah. Yeah. So Definitely. mine is the murder and torture of Matthew Shepard. So sources I used were Wikipedia, The Guardian, and then KGWN, which is a news station in Wyoming. Yeah. So uh, Matthew Shepard was born in 76 in Casper, Wyoming, mm-hmm. which is one of the like three towns that is in Wyoming. Yeah. Let's be real. It's the smallest state by population. I thought you were about to say it's the smallest state. I'm like, it's very much not, but by population. Wait, so you're telling me there are more people that live in Rhode Island than Wyoming? There are more people that live in Oklahoma City than live in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. God. Yeah, I think Wyoming's population is like 500,000, something like that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, or not so fun, depending on how you feel. Um, Wyoming is by far the most uh, politically conservative state in the U.S. Which doesn't surprise me. No. But. That's, yeah, it doesn't surprise me either. Yeah. But I've also been to Wyoming. Been through oh, Wyoming. Really? Yeah, when I I took the bus up to Seattle and we cut from South Dakota across. And so I just was in, we were in Wyoming for like an hour or two. And it was the corner, the northern, northeastern corner. There's literally nothing. It looks like the moon. Like. What? It looks like you're on the moon. It's like. Wait, it's not forests and stuff? Not, um, not eastern Wyoming. Oh. It's like plain slash desert slash just gray nothingness like it literally looks like the surface of the moon oh my um, gosh did you yeah, take so, a picture um no because it looked like nothing <laughs> because there was nothing <laughs> um <laughs> you're like i did but it's literally nothing it's like if i did i wouldn't be able to tell if we were in western south dakota southeastern montana i mean i don't know that whole area is very flat yeah and we grew up in oklahoma so that's saying something that's true um so anyway matthew um as a child he was um friendly with all his classmates but he got teased a lot uh since he was like really small and not athletic because boys are assholes yes Um, at all ages boys suck yes but was not as scary as, like, 12-year-old girls. They're scary and mean. I mean, yes, as a former 12-year-old girl. Y'all are the worst. It's pretty bad. Because I'll be like, hello, and they'll be like, <laughs> your thighs are really big. I'll be like, 
<laughs> and then I go cry, and that only makes them hungrier for more. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh my God. so these Saudi oil company. Um, like the government-owned one, uh, hired Matthew's father in the summer of 94. um, And the family subsequently moved to Saudi Arabia and lived on the... They have like a a town for the workers, for the like international workers of this company. Um, But since there weren't any American high schools in Saudi Arabia at the time, um, Matthew went to school in Switzerland, the American school in Switzerland. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he was, like, living in Europe, doing his thing. And during the time that he was there, he was in, like, theater. He took German and Italian courses. He was just an all-around, like, good, smart, involved kid. Yeah. Um, And he graduated high school there in May of 95. He then went on to attend uh, Catawaba... Catawaba? Catawaba. Catawaba College in North Carolina. uh, And then Casper College in Wyoming. Uh, before settling in Denver for a little bit. And then eventually he enrolled in the University of Wyoming in Laramie. With, and it... I need to picture it. I don't know if it's Laramie or Laramie. to cut out, cut that out but um <laughs> that was that was necessary so i was just trying to look up a video to make sure i was pronouncing the city correct laramie wyoming oh my god that was um, the best thing ever well anyway so why i was looking that up is uh matthew left denver and went to college at the university of wyoming in laramie <laughs> Wyoming. So, anyway. It's a great place to live. That was a little bit the scariest thing I've ever watched (laughs) in my life. (laughs) Because the video was just like, how to pronounce Laramie, Wyoming. And I'm like, okay, cool. Oh my god, he's serious. Yes. (laughs) And then it was that. Um, Okay. So, all right. Um, Matthew was described by his dad um, as like an optimistic and accepting young man uh, who had a special gift of relating to almost everyone. Mm-hmm. He was the type of person who was very approachable and always looked to new challenges. Matthew had a great passion for equality and always stood up for the acceptance of people's differences. So he's, he just seems like a really great person. Yeah, he really I does. Mean, um, so in February of 95, uh, this is when he was a senior in high school, um, he was beaten and raped during a school trip to Morocco. Oh my god. Yeah. And this caused him to experience like severe depression and panic yeah. attacks. Yeah. Um, and one of his friends even feared that his depression had driven him to become uh, involved in drugs during his time in college, which oh. uh, understandable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, so 
he was actually hospitalized multiple times due to his depression and su- suicide attempts. So it severely, oh severely affected him. Absolutely. And this was during college? This was during high school. Oh, the senior year of high school. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I was thinking because you moved back to Wyoming. For, anyway. Yeah. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. But, I mean, you can still see that even afterwards he's in college, he's like, you know, getting his poli-sci degree, like, you know, doing, making friends, being involved, like, doing his fucking best. Yeah. Um, so, on the night of October 6th, 1998, um, Matthew met Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson at the Fireside Lounge in Laramie. Mm -hmm. And Fireside Lounge was kind of known as, like, it's not a gay bar. At the time, there were little to no gay bars in Wyoming. Fun fact. Yeah, Um, it was 98, so. Yeah, but um, this bar was, like, more accepting than some okay was its kind of reputation yeah um he actually i read a little story that um i believe was in vanity fair a little bit from it um about his uh matthew's friendship with a uh, limo driver who oh. would occasionally drive him and his friends to fort collins colorado yeah because they would want to go to like, the gay bars and that was 70 miles away and the closest yeah. To them. So, um, which, fuck. Gonna get. <laughs> um, so, McKinney and Henderson decided to give Matthew a ride home. Mm-hmm. And once he was in the truck, uh, they robbed Matthew of his keys, wallet, and shoes. Um, they beat him repeatedly. Mm. Um, he was then taken from the truck. Um, they drove they drove to a um like an isolated field. Okay. Like middle of nowhere. They then took him out of the truck, pistol whipped him up to eighteen times in Holy the head, shit. kicked him between the legs. He was then tied to a fence and set on fire. <gasps> oh um, my god. And they just left him tied to that fence to die. Just left him there. Drove away. Oh my god. So after attacking him and leaving him tied to the fence in, you know, this is also October in Wyoming. Wyoming's a cold fucking state. So yeah. it's like below freezing outside. Yeah. Um, so after doing that, McKinney and Henderson went back to town. Um, McKinney proceeded to pick a fight with a couple of guys. Uh, police officers got involved. And one police officer who arrived at the scene arrested Henderson for this fight and then searched McKinney's truck and found a blood smeared gun. He also found Shepard's shoes and credit card. Um, oh my God. And, but he's like, what the fuck is this? Like what? Yeah, no. Cause I mean, this kid was just in a fight and then. Yeah. Like these, oh these, you know, he, yeah, he's just arresting this guy, this 20 something year old guy for getting in a fight, searches the truck and finds like, a bloody gun, shoes, wallet that's not his. And he's like, uh, what? Yeah, there's something more here. So both Henderson and McKinney not only later tried to persuade their girlfriends to, like, give him alibis. Oh, fuck them. But also to help him dispose of evidence. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the girls I'm hoping were like, uh, no. Hmm. Oh. No, they weren't. 
Damn it. Yeah. So about 15 hours after the attack, another student was out like riding his bike um, when he saw what he thought was a scarecrow against the fence. Oh my God. And he's like, oh, that's kind of weird. The scarecrow like fell over and just sitting there. As he gets closer, he realizes it's a person. (gasps) Oh my God. And that's how Matthew was found. His face was, he was still tied to the fence. Yeah. Barely alive. His face is covered in blood aside from tear tracks on either side of his cheeks that washed the blood away. Oh my God. Yeah. Reggie Flutie, um, she was the first police officer to arrive on the scene, um, said about it that the only thing I could see was partially somebody's feet and I got out of my vehicle and raced over. I seen what appeared to be a young man, 13 or 14 years old, because he was so tiny, laying on his back, he was tied to the bottom end of a pole. I did the best I could. So Shepard's twenty-one. Yeah. He's five-two, but he—he's small. Yeah. So he looks like a kid. Um, so she found him alive, but covered in blood. Um, and actually, the medical gloves that were issued by the sheriff's department were faulty, and her supply shouldn't have any. So she decided to use her bare hands to clear an airway in his mouth to, so he could breathe. Yeah. I fucking love her. So they later actually found out um, that he was HIV positive. Um, she didn't contract it because it requires a lot more than touching blood to contract HIV. Absolutely. Um, but when she thinks that's how Matthew's mom found out he was HIV positive, was him dying in the hospital bed. Because, oh I mean, it's also the 90s, so it's not... I mean, it's barely open to be gay. Thank God his family was okay with that. Right, right. Um, but, yeah. So, he was first transported to the Ivinson Memorial Hospital in Laramie. Uh, but it was very quickly realized that he needs, he needs more that we can offer. Like, this is a severe trauma case. Yeah. So, they flew him out to the Poetry Valley Hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, he had suffered fractures to the back of his head and the front of his right ear. He had severe brain stem, stem damage, which affected his body's ability to be able to regulate his heart rate, body temperature, and other vital functions. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the part of your brain that, like, keeps your shit going. Like, yeah. that it's just automatic. It was severely damaged. Uh, there were about a dozen small lacerations around his head, face, and neck. Um, and his injuries were deemed too severe for the doctors to be able to operate. Um, he never actually regained consciousness and remained on full life support. And while he was in intensive care in the days following the attack, there were actually candlelight vigils like around the world. Like this case was very well known. Yeah. Um, he was pronounced dead six days later, six days after the attack at 12.53 a.m., on October 12th of 98 at the age of 21. Oh my God. McKinney and Henderson were arrested and they were initially charged with attempted murder, kidnapping and aggravated robbery. But after Matthew died, their charges were upgraded from attempted murder to first degree murder, which meant that they were both eligible for the death penalty. Their girlfriends, Kristen Price and Chastity Paisley, 
were both charged with being accessories after the fact. Because they tried to, yeah. Yeah, because they tried to cover things up and protect their trash boyfriends. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry I'm not commenting a lot. It's hard to know what to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to be, like, it I know is. I'm being kind of quiet over here. It's just, it's, a, it's really hard to listen to. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, at McKinney's November of 98 pretrial hearing, Sergeant Rob Debris testified that McKinney had stated in an interview that he and Henderson had identified uh, Matthew as a robbery target and pretended to be gay to lure him out to their truck. So is all to do to, to rob him? To rob him. Um, he also said that McKinney had attacked Shepard after Shepard put his hand on McKinney's knee. They just wanted to rob him and then the gay came after them. Mm, God. So... Fuck these guys. Um, Fuck them. Yeah. So Detective Ben Fritzen testified that uh, Price, one of the girlfriends, stated that McKinney had told her the violence against Matthew was triggered by how McKinney felt about gays. It was triggered by that. Yeah. Oh, oh no, it gets worse. Hashtag. No. Yeah. This is a great case. I love it. Horrible. Yeah. So, in December of 98, Paisley pled guilty to being an accessory after the fact to first-degree murder. Uh Then, April 5th of 99, Henderson avoided going to trial by pleading guilty to murder and kidnapping charges. And in order to avoid the death penalty, he agreed to testify against McKinney and was sentenced to two consecutive life terms. Wow. Mm -hmm. Those are consecutive, so it's... Like, one after the other. Like, right. he's never getting out. Nope. Um, so, McKinney's trial took place in October and November of 99, um, which, so, a year after yeah. Matthew's murder. Which is actually pretty quick. Yeah, it really is. Um, so, the prosecution alleged that McKinney and Henderson pretended to be gay to gain Matthew's trust. Price, who was McKinney's girlfriend, testified that Henderson and McKinney pretended to be gay to get him to the truck and rob him. Uh, They also argued that the killing had been premeditated that was driven by greed and violence rather than his sexual orientation. Greed and violence. Mm -hmm. So the prosecution saying like it wasn't because he was gay. It was because they wanted to rob him, which is the opposite stance you think the prosecution would take, but it's because... The defense position, uh, McKinney's lawyer, attempted to put forward a gay panic defense. God damn it. Which, um, for those of y'all that don't know. That's not a fucking defense. Yeah. For those of y'all that don't know, gay panic is um, a defense that was actually very common and very widely used in like the 60s and 70s and worked. Like, you would, you know, be out with a friend to then he hits on you and suddenly he's gay and you're just filled with, you're terrified and filled with rage and you murder him because he's gay. And that's an okay, de- that's a defense. That's a legitimate defense. I and did then, not know that. And another thing that it's transformed to, um, or also is um, the trans panic. Right. Which is when men that. will, usually men, because the 
asshole fucking murderers, and these are usually fucking men, yeah. um, will, like, go on a date with a trans woman, uh, find out that, you know, she's trans, and murder her. And it's, it's a, people get off. Like, people get, not even like, oh, sentence reduced to manslaughter. Like, they're free to go. So, this, that's, oh my god. Mm -hmm. Literally, that's so fucked up. I don't even know how to respond. But it's like, it's a fucking double standard because there's no way a woman could have, like, rape fear. No. Like, oh, like, I, I, I killed him because I, I thought he, he could, he was a man so he could rape me. Well, or I killed him because he's raping me. Yeah. Like, she, oh, no. she would still be punished. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's cases all the time. There was a, oh, no, oh God, so I don't remember, I don't remember where, but this woman, it was, I do remember, it was Florida, because this uh, mother was, um, like, her boyfriend was being violent, abusive, um, and they were in a fight, and he was, like, attacking her, and she fired a gun towards the ceiling, like, just a warning shot. Yeah. And I think she got, like, 50 years in prison because she fired a gun and, like, her kids were also in the house. And it didn't matter that she was trying to protect herself or them and it what was just fuck? a warning shot. And, of course, this is also the state that has stand-your-ground laws. Yeah. So, you know, but I promise oh if it had been the other way around, if um, it had been a man that does this and a woman's abusing him and he fired a warning shot that... You know, the cops would probably all laugh and, oh, girl, girls are crazy. Probably. Because fuck everything. Yep. Fuck everything. Fuck everyone. <sighs> so with this gay panic defense, uh, McKinney's uh, lawyers argued that McKinney was driven to temporary insanity by alleged sexual advances by Matthew. Um, fuck these. Mm. This defense, thankfully, was rejected by the judge. And McKinney's lawyer stated that the two men simply just wanted to rob Matthew and never intended to kill him. Like, didn't mean to. Oh, yeah, we didn't mean to torture him. It's just so yeah, happened. It just happened like that. What? So a the jury found McKinney not guilty of premeditated murder, but guilty of felony murder, and began to deliberate on the death penalty. Um, Matthew's parents actually brokered a deal that resulted in McKinney receiving two consecutive life terms How? without the possibility of parole. How do parents broker deals like that? So the jury is saying, do we, um, you know, I guess death penalty or life in prison. Right. And as, because they're the, um, I guess since Matthew's not here to represent himself, his parents are there to represent him with his lawyers. Yeah. So they, you know, got a... Oh, oh. They got a deal with um, Matthew's parents. So Matthew's parents said didn't want him to have the death penalty. They wanted him to have life in prison? Well... Sorry, I'm trying to follow. I didn't realize yeah. someone else could influence the jury's I actually, decision like this. I actually didn't either, because it's like a kind of opposite of a plea deal it's the opposite of a plea deal and it's also but i'm assuming because i, feel, I thought the jury wasn't supposed to be influenced by outside parties i mean I, that's an inside party yeah. but sorry i assume like 
maybe they took the death penalty off the ca- off the table in exchange for instead of just the possibility of like maybe one life in prison with possibility of parole it's two consecutive no parole right. so kind of meet in the middle but i don't know huh i'd like to look into that more because yeah. that's a really interesting yeah out. yeah so henderson and mckinney were incarcerated in the wyoming state penitentiary and were later transferred to other prisons because of overcrowding but yeah. they're still in prison today yeah. good as they should be yeah so, following her testimony in McKinney's trial, Price, who's the other girlfriend, yeah. uh, pled guilty to the, a reduced charge of misdemeanor interference with a police officer. Okay. Because, yeah, whatever. So, members of the Westboro Baptist Church. I just fucking hate them. Yeah, they're... I, I don't wish violence on people. I really don't. No. Um, I absolutely hate these people. Yeah, I never I, wish violence. I wouldn't. I don't wish violence on them, but I hate them in the strongest, strongest sense of the term. Yep. Like I agree with they're that. They're just terrible, garbage human beings, and they they have no no soul. Like there's. There's no good left in any of them. Like, that just isn't. Because I've read a couple... Um, I've seen a couple documentaries and read things of uh, members that have escaped the yes. Westboro Baptist Church, basically. Yeah. And just to hear about how the cultiness of it... Because it's only like 40 members or something. Oh, um, that's it? I thought it was mm-hmm. larger than that. Mm-mm. It's huh. like 40 or 50 members. Um, and... But it's people that are, like, indoctrinated. Like, you know, your parents go to church from birth. You're, like, you know, holding up the signs and shit. And I can't. So. God. Yeah. So if y'all want a uh, real, real fucking fun, fun, fun fucking read, uh, go to the Wikipedia page for the Westboro Baptist Church. But don't go to their website because they get money for clicks. So, oh, yeah. do not do go, not to, not their go to their website. Because no. you help fund them if you do. You're supporting um, them without... That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, like hidden support. Mm-hmm. So, the Westboro Baptist Church um, received national attention because they picketed Matthew's funeral uh, with signs bearing some of their famous homophobic slogans such as, Matt in hell and God hates fags. Love them. Oh, my God. So... It's a very frustrating thing. I hate that they picketed his funeral. That's mm-hmm. beyond disrespectful. And I'm really glad you told me the information about their website. Not that mm-hmm. I ever would have gone there, but now, yeah. even for like curiosity's sake, I will yeah. never go. Don't do it. So it does. It does get better though. Um, I, like it's worse before it gets better. But so church members also had uh, they mounted anti-gay protests during the uh, trials. Um, God. So, in response to this, Romaine Patterson, who's one of Matthew's really good friends, organized a group that assembled in a circle around the Westboro Baptist Church protesters. Uh, They wore white robes and gigantic wigs, so they resembled angels, and they blocked the protesters, um, like, blocked everyone's view of the protesters and stuff. Despite this action, this was fucking heartbreaking. Um, Despite doing this, um, his parents were still able to hear the protesters um, and the comments that were directed towards them. 
And the police actually intervened and created a human barrier between the two groups. In the years following Matthew's death, Judy Shepard, his mom, um, has worked tirelessly as an advocate for LGBTQA plus rights um, and particularly issues related to gay youth. Um, She's the main force behind the Matthew Shepard Foundation, which Uh she and Matthew's dad founded in December of 98, Mm -hmm. two months after. Jesus. Um, So, and there are so many fucking... Um, they, they there's so much amazing work that they do. Yes. So, requests for new legislation to address hate crimes really started gaining momentum after this because under existing U.S. federal and Wyoming state law, crimes that were committed on the basis of sexual orientation are not prosecutable as hate crimes. So you could literally walk into... <laughs> Uh, a bar and be like I hate gay people I'm shooting you because you're gay murder someone it's, it's not, not a hate, hate crime. crime because okay. yeah and it just wait to listen to how long it took so in March of, March 20th of 2007 the Matthew Shepard Act was introduced um, to the US Congress And the bill actually passed the House of Representatives Mm -hmm. on May 3rd. And similar legislation was passed September 27th. It's all in 2007. Yeah. However, then-President George W. Bush indicated he would veto the legislation if it it reached his desk. Because he's just a classy person. What the fuck? It was literally just to make these things hate crimes. Yeah. Yeah. What? So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the House of Representatives debated expansion of hate crimes. Obama passed it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry. I know, spoiler, but I knew that part. I didn't realize it had gone in. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah. So um, the House of Representatives debated expanding the hate crimes legislation again on April 29th of 2009. The House passed it, um, and it was introduced to the sentence in April um, and had 43 co-sponsors by June 17th of 09, and it was adopted as an amendment by a vote on July 15th of 09. Mm-hmm. October 22nd of 09, the Senate passed the act, and President Obama signed the measure into law on October 28th of 2009, which was, what, 10 years, 11 years after? Yeah. Took 11 years. And I just, how many people got away with these hate crimes in the two extra years it took because Bush is being a homophobic fuck. Literally not a number I want to know. No. Even if it's like one, don't. I don't want to know. too fucking many. Yes. So, news story from uh, Monday, July 30th of 2018. Oh. So, Two days ago. Yeah. By the way, we're recording this on October or on August first. Uh, KGWN news station in Cheyenne, Wyoming, uh, said this: October of this year marks 20 years since the death of University of Wyoming student Matthew Shepard. Oh my god! A murder that became a monumental symbol for the injustice of hate crimes for the LGBTQ community. 
The University of Wyoming and the City of Laramie are partnering with the Matthew Shepard Foundation and put together nearly two months of events starting in early September. It's something that is very dear to my heart because it's 2018 and the idea that we could potentially be perceived as a community that is not open and is not welcoming just breaks my heart in half because that's not who we are, Laramie Mayor Andy Somerville said. And so I want to make sure that we are continuing to project that image of openness, inclusiveness, and live those values every single day so that people want to come here. Well, we're going to have to take a pause break and go cry now. I know. Because I'm, like, tearing up right now, Mm -hmm. and... They've been working hand-in-hand with his parents, with his alumni, with his friends. Literally the most emotional case we've ever presented. Ah, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to follow that up. But well, I when, will. when we come back, we'll. Uh, I know this is we'll gonna be see. one of the. It's like gonna be clearly obvious that we're pausing right now, and uh, we'll resume and regroup. Yep. All right, and after that uh, short pause, we are back. Um, we are. It was short for y'all, as in like a tiny millisecond for us. It was about twenty minutes. Yeah. So we could regroup, open the second bottle, and. And uh, I mean, honestly, get to really drink it on it, but. See, yeah. you know, now our voices are much more positive before yes. we go into Brittany's torture killer. Yeah, murder. something right. not positive at all. Yay! Um, I will say I thought I was bringing the big guns with this one, but now I'm uh, not 100% sure. But still a very interesting case that I'm yeah. about to present. Um, this one is one most of us know. It's uh, Mr. Dennis Rader, a.k.a. BTK. So, fun fact, I don't. Like, I've heard of the BTK killer. I've heard of Dennis Rader. I don't know anything about him, though. Well, buckle your seatbelt, because I'm about to tell you more than you ever want to know. I'm not wearing a seatbelt. Oh, no, Um, it's, it's right behind there. Oh, God, you're one of those people that has that kind of couch. Yeah. It's actually huh. an old airline row. It's not. I that would be really one of those. uncomfortable. Oh. Oh. They're really that would be really uncomfortable. I know, but like you if you replace the padding or something, but I love like that kind of I don't know. I love that shit. I wanna yeah. fucking steal an airline seat row from a plane. So there's That's actually my big crime. I was taking care of a friend's cat this week and when I was walking to her apartment one of her neighbors has on their balcony a row of like movie theater seats, but it's it's like old timey movie theater where it's the round wooden backs. Oh. And like the fold out. But it was like yeah. a row of three of them and that was their chairs on their balcony. I thought that was really cute. That is cute until it rains. Yeah, I mean that's a covered balcony, but you know oh, the wind yeah, but still. and whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I always, I do not want people that have like the three or four chairs row from like a sports stadium. I don't care about that. But yeah, no, I want some old airline seats. If I can get some old first class ones, you damn fucking right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about the time? I'm sorry. I know you're trying to get in your case. Did I tell you about the time I got upgraded to first class? No. Yeah. Um, it was Oklahoma City to Chicago. So it literally was, instead flight. of being the kind of, Plane that, or instead of being the area that's like 
one seat on this side and two seats on this side. It was just one on each side. I got upgraded from the one side to the one side. So I'm like, it's not that much of an upgrade. It sounds like a tiny airplane. It, it was absolutely it was tiny airplane. It was like an Embraer uh, 136 or something. Um, and wow. it, but I got a free drink. So. Hey. But work yeah. Work upgrade. Yeah. Anyway, tell me about Dennis Raider. All right. The sources I used. So as you can imagine, there are a shit ton of sources on this. Yeah. And so I really narrowed into some odd ones, to be completely honest. Okay. Um, I used Wikipedia, a website called didyouknowfacts.com. Sounds um, reputable. And listverse.com. But you didn't use uh, an apartment finder website. I didn't use an apartment finder website. But, like, I realize my sources seem a bit odd, but it was just for some supplemental material for the Wikipedia. Wikipedia is where the majority of this comes from. Honestly, though, I feel like we could almost cite all the sources we get from Wikipedia, but it'd be a citation list, like, 40 articles long. It would be. It'd be like, and for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to list the sources on Wikipedia. If you'll just go to the Wikipedia page, they're all there. So it's like a source of a source. Yep. All right. Dennis Rader. Okay. He, he was born March 9th, 1945. Okay. Um, he's an American serial killer that is known as the BTK killer, or as you will come to unfortunately intimately know, that means bind, torture, kill. Well, that sounds fun. That was his very infamous signature. Between 1974 and 1991, he killed 10 people mm. in Sedgwick County, Kansas. Huh. Yeah, he was... I didn't know he was in Kansas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where is... Do we know where Sedgwick County is? Wichita. Really? Yeah. He's in Wichita, Kansas. So, he was mostly known for sending a lot of taunting letters to the police and newspapers describing all the details of his crimes. He got this weird pleasure out of uh, doing that. It's a very Zodiac-esque thing. Yeah. These letters that he wrote and, uh, you know, the ones that were shared in papers, etc., were... This struck obviously a lot of fear in the hearts and residents of the people in Wichita. So for... did he like send them to like the newspapers and stuff like the Zodiac did? Yeah, newspapers and to the police. Oh, so they're like getting published and people are, oh fuck. And he did this for three decades. Oh my God. He's sending these letters and like people just. Three decades. Fuck. Yeah. So his early life. He is the oldest of four sons, born to, to Dorothea and William Rader. And he was actually born in Pittsburgh, Kansas, but grew up in Wichita. And uh, according to quite a few reports, he did torture animals as a child. So that's kind they of when it started. They all do. They all do. I just don't get how you would do that. Animals are so... They're precious babies. Look at this precious baby, like, licking my foot like a weird ass. She loves you. It's her way of saying I love you. Cool. She's Please probably going to jump up here. Um, he also had this weird sexual fetish for women's underwear. And we'll later Whoa. come to learn that he would still steal the underpants of his victims and uh, wear them himself. That's weird. Yeah. He spent 1966 through 1970 in the U.S. Army. And then once he was discharged, he moved to Park City. And that's where he worked in the meat department of uh, a Leaker's IGA supermarket, 
where his mom was the bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. He then married a woman named Paula Abdul. Di- <laughs> Paula Dietas wow. on May twenty second, nineteen seventy one, and they had two children. Oh, so he's just like a dad. He's just your average dad. He's uh, just your dad living uh, in Kansas. He ended up working for the ADT Security Services from 1974 to 1988. And he would go to people's homes and install security alarms as a part of his job. And a weird kind of ironic moment in this story is he was installing a lot of security alarms for people who were scared of the BTK killer. Of course he was. Yeah. Of course he was. Because, yeah. Well, and just... Keep in mind the fact that he works for ADT Security Services. They so have access to blueprints. To... He knows how to get into a home. Well, he probably knows how to disable all these security devices. Yes. Oh, my God. He knows how to do this. So just have See, it in the back of your mind. Honestly, if you don't want to get murdered, don't have a security system. Just kidding. Have a security system. It's not one that was set up by the BTK. Yeah. Either. Oh, my God. Um, In May 1991, he became a dog catcher and compliance officer in Park City, where he lived. And in this position, yeah, I mean, kind of just... I didn't actually realize that's a real job. Yeah. I just figured, like, animal control, like, person. Well, and it's like he was a compliance officer, so he's making sure people in the city are complying with the laws and the rules. You know, making sure these people put their fucking dogs on a leash Instead of letting them run around and run up to Max, who gets freaked out and tries to get out of his collar, and they're fucking... I know. But it's fine. It's fine. People in our apartment don't put their fucking dogs on leashes, and their dogs are so excitable, and they're like, hey, he's friendly! And I'm like, you don't know if mine is. I know. Also, you don't know if a truck is about to come off the street. That was Uh, a little bit of a tangent. A little bit. It's okay. So when he was in this position, neighbors often recalled him being... A little overzealous and extremely strict with his um, compliance officer duties. And one neighbor actually complained that he euthanized her dog for no reason. What the fuck? Probably, like, the dog was probably loose and he euthanized it. Oh my god. He was also a member of Christ Lutheran Church and had been elected the president of the church council. That's, I didn't know that was a thing either. And he was a Cub Scout leader. Oh, God. So he's someone that's well-known in the community. People know who this guy is. He's your friendly Dennis and except apparently a little aggressive uh, with his job. But overzealous was the word. Overzealous. My Boy Scout leader would always... So this is a little bit of a side tangent. But he would always tell us to, like, be Scout-like. Or is that Scout-like? Is that behavior Scout-like? And then, like, four years later, he got caught cheating on his wife. And all I wanted to do is, is ask him. Be like, Is that scout-like? <laughs> you know? Obviously, I didn't because now, at this point, I was, like, in college. But Yeah, but how cool would that have been to just write him a letter? Was don't that put a re- scout-like? Don't, no, not text him. Write him a letter. Don't put a return address and just send it. And it just says, it, no, postcard. Postcard. Was it? Yeah. Was that scout-like? Yeah. He was a dick, though. Um, so, however, obviously, beneath the surface, Dennis Rader lived a very secretive, secretive life of depravity and violence. Uh, yeah. Um, Which dog can't... I'm still stuck on that. 
But it's I know. Wichita. Wichita's like an hour and a half from Oklahoma City. I know. Well, oh, maybe like two hours. I don't know. I've never been. I've never been either. Which is weird, right? I can't know. Why I, would we go to Wichita? Why would we go to Tulsa? I've been to Tulsa like a dozen times. You go to Tulsa because that's where a lot of the best concerts were until we had the the Chesapeake Arena. Not the Ford Center. I anymore. was about to call the Ford Center. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I paused. I mean, yeah, but but why have I never been to Wichita? But why would you go? That's what I'm saying. I, I gave so, you a I've reason. I've never to been go to, to Tulsa. Tulsa for a concert. I've been oh, like a well, dozen that's times. Your problem. Okay, well, whatever. All so, right, so we're literally just scratching the surface of my case. So okay, gonna jump, jump in. right in. He first to ha- first began to have some fantasies about women in bondage situations when he was a teenager. And around that same time was when he started killing animals. So it's not like he was a young kid killing animals. He was a fucking teenager. I don't like that. Yeah. His fantasies became more and more violent over the years until uh, he finally decided to act on them in 1974. How old was he? He was 29. Okay. Over the next three decades after he began committing these vicious murders, he continued to live this double life as a Park City employee, respected church member, and loving father and husband in public. And in private, he was this murderous sexual sadist. So his, like, wife and kids had no idea. I mean, obviously, but, like... Nope. Not... Oh, my God. Part of, like, this this twisted game he was playing when he was acting on his urges and the, the BTK killer portion of his life, he got this sexual thrill from striking terror. And that's why he just continuously contacted the press... Um, he enjoyed knowing that he was the reason that fe- that fear was sweeping through Wichita in and the seventies. And he like jerked off to that to like oh basically scary he basically weird. jerked off to everything. He he chose his victims very carefully, stalked them for days, potentially weeks, learning their movements, just getting to know these people, their schedules, and then he would plan out his attack on them. And he stalked many women, some of which he did not end up attacking. If things weren't working to his advantage, he would move on to someone else. And there were a a lot of women who would come forward thinking, you know, I think I've potentially been being stalked by BTK. Fuck. So, a a few of the things that he would do in his murders, before I dive into the actual crimes. Again, I told you he worked at ADP. So, he would break into these women's homes after stalking them for mm-hmm. for a long time learning their habits he would he would break into their homes and hide and he would wait he would wait until so so say he would get there at four and hide in their closet until they got home from work and he may stay there until oh just God. waiting to attack and he Jesus. he took photos of his victims after during the crimes and then another weird sadistic fact he would pose himself in bondage situations either in partial drag or with a mask just as a another way to act out his weird fantasies okay so i think i believe there's one photo where he's lying in one of the shallow graves that he dug for a victim wearing a mask his yeah i mean like literally he's so fucked up it's insane also little bit of a tangent but still on this a spoiler alert warning for those who have not who have not watched Mindhunter 
season one, there are these scenes that sometimes begin the episode, sometimes it's randomly tucked into the middle, but it's just, like, this guy who's doing home security and doing, like, some weird fucking shit is totally BTK, and I'm really fucking excited for season two to see how they dive into that. I'm going to tell you my case, and then I'm going to touch on another fact on this that'll make more sense after I'm done, but... So, like, don't let me forget about bringing up Mindhunter. Okay. So, BTK first struck in 1974 with the brutal slaying of four members of the Otero family. The mother and father and their two children, aged 11 and 9, were found dead in their home. It turns out when Dennis Rader first saw this Puerto Rican family, he was transfixed with them. His main focus was the mom, Julie, and her 11-year-old daughter, Josephine. So, the women. Mm -hmm. Um, He hitched this plan to attack on the morning of January 15, 1974, when only Julie, Josephine, and the youngest son, Joseph Jr., would be home. However, he was caught by surprise when he entered and found Joseph Otero, the the father, Mm -hmm. uh, Joseph Sr., was still home. He being Dennis, managed to gain control of the situation, and he bound, tortured, and killed that entire family. Jesus. He did later admit that he was very unprepared for this crime. He didn't really know how much strength was required to take a human life, so his first attempt at strangling Julie failed, and she woke up when Raider was killing her son, Joseph. Oh my god. So he then, you know, took care of that situation. Then he focused on Josephine, the daughter, took her into the basement, hung her, and then masturbated on her corpse. Jesus. Um, some of the family members had been suffocated with plastic bags. Then, as I said, one of them was found hanging from a drain pipe in the Jesus. basement of the house. What makes this even more horrible, the Otero's third... <sighs> Teenage son, Charlie, came home from school to discover the carnage. Oh my god. Of his entire family. Dennis wrote a letter that had been stashed inside an engineering book randomly at the Wichita Public Library in October of that year that described in full detail the killing of this family. Jesus. Just in a random... Was there any rhyme or reason to the book? Or just he saw a book, threw it in there? There was probably rhyme or reason. I'm sure knowing his need for the spotlight, he wanted it to be found. So it was probably an engineering book that was checked out frequently enough. Okay. His next victim was claimed a few months later on April 4th, 1974, Catherine Bright. She was only 21 years old and found stabbed in her home and later died in the hospital. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So about three years passed... Before, in March 1977, BTK entered the home of 24-year-old Shirley Vane, locked all of her children in the bathroom. Oh my god. And strangled her to death. And he would use quite interesting things to strangle these women. Nylon, pantyhose, Mm. things like that. Is that what people mean when they say nylons is pantyhose? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It does. His next victim was a woman named Nancy Fox. He noticed her leaving work one day and followed her home. Eventually, he was able to discover what her name was from her mailbox, and he determined where she worked, which was a jewelry store, started studying her pattern, 
And then it was finally in December 1977, he decided it was time to strike and it was time to kill her. He parked his car a few blocks away, confirmed that Nancy was not at her home, cut her phone line, which is one of his trademark moves. Oh so they couldn't call 911. Oh, yeah, because cell phones are not a thing. Cell phones are not a thing. This is 77. He, again, remember how I mentioned he knows the blueprints of the home? Like, he can easily find this stuff. Cut these lines. God. I will say, you know what's kind of crazy? Is that I feel like the information that he probably took weeks to find, like, what her name is, where she works, all that. You can do it in, like, two minutes. Now. I know. I'm like, you have someone's address. You Google that. Okay, you have their name. You know, you put in Lacey, what was her last name? Well, this is Nancy Fox. You put in Nancy Fox, uh, Wichita, into LinkedIn, be like, oh, she's jewelry store. Like, I know. God. Which I guess is, Facebook, too, but. Which is one thing that's a little bit scary about the way our world is today, how easily our information is out there. Like, I don't mean to sound like one yeah. of those people, but also, it's, it's scary. Is, but it's also one of those things that. I don't know. I feel like because the information is out there, because we know it's out there, it's not as scary if someone's like, oh, you work here. I'd be like, yeah, I do. Like, But how people can so easily find your home address. Yeah, that's fucking terrifying. It is. Uh, that I don't like. Uh, so, again, he cut her phone line and then he broke into her house. She arrived home and Dennis confronted her. And she was staying relatively calm. and he How? She's trying to get through the situation. I mean, yeah, but fuck. That's just... She's a fucking boss. If she's staying calm, finding this man in her house. So it's one of the things that you can appear calm on the outside, but not on the inside. I remember I, that. Yeah, that's fair, but still. So Dennis lied and said that he was, quote unquote, just going to rape her by tying her up. And she... Just decided to go with it. Because at that point, what the fuck else yeah. do you do? Um, this was part of his MO. He would tell the victims that he had a sexual problem. He needed to do some bondage and just had to get that out of his system. And then he would just become very aroused when he was describing this to them. So Nancy asked if she could use the bathroom before they just get it over with. She comes out of the bathroom he handcuffs her, throws her on the bed, and strangles her. She recovered after a pause, and Dennis later said that he whispered into her ear, I was BTK, I was a bad guy. And then she, like, really started to squirm, because then she realizes she's not just going to be raped. Yeah. This this excitement that he received from knowing that she knew his infamous identity was this thrill he wanted he was seeking and after she died he masturbated on her god it was actually this murder that led to a crucial clue in the case um the murder went as well as dennis could have possibly planned so he decided to uh, announce it as his perfect murder he called the police to report it and he said you'll find a homicide at 843 south perishing nancy fox and his weird, like, pronunciation of the word homicide, like, homicide, was thought of to be a clue. Um, but it, <laughs> the reality was because he was a, not an intelligent person. Like, he 
actually didn't know how to pronounce the word. His IQ was very low. He was not a very smart mm-hmm. guy. Which is kind of crazy when you learn of how long he got away with this. He's actually yeah. stupid. Well, I feel like a lot of the serial killers... I mean, we've talked about this before, how I have an issue with, um, you know, like TV shows portraying every killer as being as smart as Ted Kaczynski and stuff. like. No, and they're, they're not. But... I will say, I think you see a lot, when you see the serial killers that get away with it for a long time and, like, are taunting the police and, like, leading them on this chase that goes round and round for years are usually the ones that have these high IQs. Right. I feel. And maybe that's just because the really notable ones, that's part of the thing. But, I, yeah, I think that's interesting that mm-hmm. he's... Not a smart dude. But also, no. if you think about it, Gary Ridgway, was no, not a smart, not a smart dude. dude. Was, you know, not like, not well, smart. And it's it's very interesting to me how some of these killers can have no real book smarts, but it's like their street smarts are up there because they can get away and they know how to execute these things. Or yeah. they just get real fucking lucky. Yeah. I... But I wonder how many of these serial killers would have never been caught if they were if they were introverts, if they weren't doing it for the attention. Yeah. Like how many would just slide under the or not under the radar because they're looking for it, but just like not not outwardly give these clues to the point where they're just never found. I think unfortunately there are quite a few killers who are not found. Think of how many unsolved cases there are. I mean, that's true. That is absolutely true. And I feel like a lot of serial killer cases, like, you can suspect a murder. Like, oh, this might have been a murder by ex-serial killer. But you don't know until you catch them and they're like, oh, we can put these together. We have the confessions. Like, yes, it was these 14 people, not these 30 that we thought it could be. Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to just dive back in. Do it. Um, in early 1978, so this is the next year, again, with this attention-seeking attitude that Dennis has, he sent another letter to television station KAKE in Wichita, and this is when he claimed responsibility for the Cake. murders. Cake. Yep. Cake <laughs> station. This is when he claimed responsibility for the murders of the Otero family, Catherine Bright, Shirley Vane, Vien, sorry, whatever I said earlier, and Nancy Fox. So all of his previous murders, he he claims responsibility. And this is when he suggests some possible names for himself, including the one that stuck, BTK. So he fucking came up with his own nickname. Fuck him. Oh, yeah, I know. That's one part that irritates the shit out of me. Because I'm like, you fucking... He was so obsessed with, like, this notoriety and this infamy that he comes up with his own fucking name. And it actually fucking stuck. Yeah, he's so fucking narcissistic. Yes. Like, you know damn well Dahmer did not come up with the Milwaukee cannibal. Not that that stuck. It didn't stick as much as fucking BTK. People know BTK more than they know his actual name. Uh, absolutely. So when you said his name, I was like, "Oh, I recognize that. Yep, that's BTK." But when you say BTK, I'm like, "I know exactly who you're talking about." Yeah. 
uh, it was in this letter to the news station that he demanded media attention. So that's when it was finally announced to Wichita that they did have a serial killer at large. Oh my God. What do you do as a city? Like, what do you do? I mean... Because obviously things have to just go on business as usual, but... Well, and it's one of those things that, for example, these news stations, of course they're going to report on it. Yeah. Number one, because it's news. But also, a lot of these killers are threatening, like the Zodiac and the the school bus thing. Mm. They're threatening to do things, and they've proven that they're... More than capable. Yes, that they're going to do these things. So, of course, you you do what they ask. Yeah. No, absolutely. But, ah. I know. Uh, So, after his murder of Nancy Fox in 1977, it was eight years before he killed again. So, he had a long hiatus. And in 1985, he broke into the home of Maureen Hedge, who lived just down the street from him, waited until a male guest that she had left for the evening crept out of her closet so he'd been hiding in there this is what i'm saying like he would literally go in people's homes and just fucking wait so her male friend her her male guest left he crept out of the closet flipped on her bedroom light she sat up in bed and he pounced on her strangled her to death he then placed her nude body in the trunk of her own car drove it to the christ lutheran church the church he was president of eventually and took photographs of her in various sexual bondage positions Jesus. He killed two more times in the coming years. He strangled women in 1986 and 1991. The first woman was Vicki Wedgerly or Weggerly and Dolores Davis. And then the killings stopped permanently. Oh. Detectives found themselves immersed in a cold case. They didn't know how to move forward and they had no solid leads. And again, his last crime was in 1991. However, mm-hmm. in March 2004... Really? Raider began a series of about 11 communications to the local media that eventually led to his arrest. Now, let me go through all of this. It's it's very interesting how he ended up being caught. Well, question. Obviously, there's shit ton of murders in Wichita between 91 and 04. How do they know none of them were him? So... I mean, I guess he did have his signature, A little bit of a fucking spoiler, but I'll go ahead and tell you. Sorry. They have his DNA, because like I said, he ejaculated on his phone. They ran his DNA through the crime database because they had that same thought of, did he really stop killing? And there were no additional matches. He fessed up to every single one of his crimes. Okay. So, they had the same thought. But... So in March 2004, the Wichita Eagle received a letter from someone using the return address to a man named Bill Thomas Kilman, which, as you can see... That is so on the nose. It is BTK, and the last name is Kilman. Yeah. Um, The author of the letter claimed that he had murdered Vicki Wedgerly on September 16th, 1986, and enclosed photographs of the crime scene and a photocopy of her driver's license. He, that's another thing. He would, he would steal their driver's license. That was kind of his token. He kept those. So, like, until 2004, it had not been definitely established that Vicky was killed by BTK. So, 
that Jesus. it took that long for it to be like, oh fuck, that was him. And there was DNA collected under her fingernails, which you know provided the police with that piece of evidence. And they began DNA testing hundreds of men in an effort to find the serial killer. After they learned it was BTK. Yeah. So in May 2004, so a few months later, television station KKE in Wichita received another letter with chapter headings for the BTK story, fake IDs, and a word puzzle. So he's like sending them all kinds of shit. Oh my god. On June 9th of 2004, a package was found taped to a stop sign at the corner of First in Kansas in Wichita. It had graphic descriptions of the Otero murders and a sketch labeled The Sexual Thrill Is My Bill. Okay. It also enclosed was a chapter of a proposed book called The BTK Story, which mimicked a story that was written in 1999 by Court TV by crime writer David Lore. And the first chapter was called A Serial Killer is Born. So literally, like, Dennis is fucking obsessed with being famous. Yeah. Or infamous as this killer like like, so narcissistic yes he literally thinks he is never going to be caught he thinks the chase is fun and that police don't want to catch him because they also want to keep up the chase that's stupid (laughs) well again like i said he's not very smart in july of 2004 a package was dropped into the return slot at the downtown public library containing more bizarre material there was one which I think I'm going to post this photo to our Instagram, and it's a weird one. But I don't know if it was one of these packages or something he did previously. But he took a Barbie doll and mimicked it to be, like, one of his victims that was strangled. And oh. sent that. So, literally, like, all of these things are insanely fucked up. Okay. Um, In December 2004, Wichita Police received yet another package from BTK. And this time... It was found at Wichita's Murdoch Park. In it, it had the the driver's license of Nancy Fox, which had been noted stolen from the crime scene many years earlier, mm-hmm. as well as another doll that was um, bound at the hands and feet and had a plastic bag tied over its head. Okay. Um, in early 2005, Dennis made a mistake that finally did him in. Oh. He left a cereal box in the back of a stranger's pickup truck at a local Home Depot. The owner of the truck, I mean, sees his fucking cereal box, thinks it's trash, and throws it away. However, Dennis, starving for attention, contacted a local news station about the box that he left in the truck. Police were able to track down this discarded box that had been thrown in the trash And inside of it were documents detailing murders that Dennis had planned to commit. So ones he hadn't done yet. Oh. Um, Like, did it name his victims and that he wanted to be victims? No, I don't think it did. I think it was just an outline of... Because he was pre-planning a lot of these murders that he wanted to eventually do. Yeah. And one of the documents asked the police a specific question. He asked the police if he would be able to communicate with them via floppy disk without being detected. Okay. And the note asked them to be honest about this. And the police, Um, the police agreed. And they were like, yeah, you can contact us via floppy disk. 
What? In this, it said if the police agreed with this, they were to run a specific message in the local classified ads. That way, that was his way of getting a yes from the police. Like, yeah. That they can communicate via this floppy disk. The police, of course, realized this might be their best shot at apprehending who BTK was. Yeah. So they placed the ad telling BTK that they would not be able to track him. And obviously, that was a fucking lie. Yeah. So on February 16th, 2005, a floppy disk was mailed to the local uh, TV news station. And cake again? Yeah. I'm assuming. Uh, by examining the disc, police were able to ascertain that the file had been saved by someone named Dennis and that it had been used at Christ Lutheran Church at the Park City Library. Police discovered that Dennis Rader was the president of the congregation of oh this church God. and that he lived in Park City. So he totally fucked up by trusting the police. And when I said earlier that he was hoping the police wanted this chase to continue, this, this just shows his ignorance. Yeah. Because he was like, Basically, like, hey, uh, police, can y'all track me via floppy disk? And they were like, no. No, we could uh-uh. never. That is not a possibility. He's like, cool, because I couldn't decide if on this Word doc I wanted to delete by Dennis Rader or not. But if you can't track it, I'll leave it, basically. Yes. Like, he, he was just that ignorant. Police zeroed in on Dennis Rader as their suspect, and they mm-hmm. swiftly compared his DNA to evidence that was left at the scenes. Yeah. And when the results came back, there was absolutely no doubt that Dennis was BTK. He was arrested on February 25th, 2005. And in interviews after his arrest, he apparently was stunned and dismayed that the detectives would lie to him about being able to track the floppy disk. Really? He's fucking dumb. Oh, okay. Um, and... You're telling me that he's not one of those people who's like, the government gonna get me. He's like, like, what? You're dumb? You're... No. I don't... He was mm. just so obsessed with this notoriety he was receiving from the case that he thought it was this fun game and that everyone was enjoying it. And it's like, no, dude, no one fucking enjoys it. You're a sick fuck. Yeah. We want you caught. Um, During his trial on June 27th, 2005, he gave a very lengthy and extremely graphic confession detailing the 10 murders he committed between 1974 and 1991. God. He was given 10 life sentences, one for each of his victims, in August 2005. Today, he is 73 years old, and he sits in solitary confinement basically waiting to die in prison. Fuck. And how I wanted to bring the Mindhunter topic back into this. Oh, I'm glad you remembered because I know I said I would, but I didn't. You totally didn't. It's okay. I did. Because I wanted to make this point just because it's a a big curiosity factor. So Mindhunter takes place in the 70s, and this is when John Douglas was, again, interviewing all of these killers to do FBI profiling. And in the series, they're doing all these BTK hints and whatnot. Again. Oh. Yeah, did you just get it? The series has happened in the 70s, so they're happening. I don't know how they're going to play this out, because at the time that this is you know, happening via the show, we don't fucking know that it's Dennis Rader. 
Yeah. He is not caught until 2005. And I am so, 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 oh. so curious how they're going to address this in the show. Yeah. I think it's going to be something, again, spoiler alert, that is going to be this huge mindfuck for Holden, which is the character's name in the show. He was already starting to be, like, insanely disturbed in the first season. Sorry, I spoiled it for you, but you haven't watched it yet. Not no. your own damn problem. Sorry. But he starts to have, like, a mental breakdown because of what's going on and the intensity of these interviews he's having with the serial killers. And so I almost feel yep. like him not being able to catch BTK is going to be a breaking point. And this is also where maybe there's going to be a deviation from reality, although I haven't finished John Douglas's book. But that is the story of BTK. That's actually the short version. There is so much more detail I could have gone into. Oh, yeah. I tried to stay relatively high level. But, you know, his his torture of the victims, his torture of the city, it was his a big portion of his M.O. And, yeah, he's fucking cray. Yeah. Well, I guess jumping into the post-mortem. I mean, dude, I don't know. I don't either. Um, Because they're very different cases. I know. That's why it's difficult, because there is no comparison. No. And normally, and this was, like I mentioned at the beginning, one one of the things about this topic, about how broad it is, it's hard to compare and contrast. Yeah. Very hard. For the most part... Usually when we get to the postmortems, I have a pretty good idea of, like, who I'm, I think won. And usually you think the exact same thing. Like, it's, you know... Yeah. I don't... I, I honestly have no idea how to pick a winner. Yeah. Everyone's a loser, honestly. Everyone's a loser, yes. As, as you can imagine, and as it, I, I didn't explicitly say it, but Dennis Reader's family did not know anything about this. I kind of figured I was I was wondering what their reaction to this could be. Well, his wife filed for an emergent divorce, which meant you get Fair. to skip the waiting period and it was granted. Uh I would hope so. His children have disowned him. Yeah. His daughter to this day has not visited him in prison because She's too scared, slash she just doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, fair. But she did break their nearly 10 years of silence in 2014 when Stephen King's book, Full Dark, No Stars, was being released as a movie called A Good Marriage. So there was a lot of publicity around this. And it was found out that this book, this novella, was based on BTK Mm. and... You know, okay. him keeping the secret from his family. And, yeah. And his daughter was really pissed about that. And she really spoke out against Stephen King. And previously, he had been one of her favorite authors. But she thought he was exploiting the story. And... I I can see what she means. I yeah. can see what she means. I still want to see this movie now. Yeah. Like, I absolutely do. And I still love Stephen King because I, I mean, fucking yeah. love Stephen King. Yeah. But it was just very interesting to me that that is what sparked their, the first public speaking about everything. Yeah. Was the movie. That that she was so outraged that that was based off of her family and her parents. 
that she. I mean, I totally understand her outrage. Like, totally get it. But damn. Um, So, wanted to put that out. That was supposed to be part of my case, but I forgot it until we were doing postmortem. So, back to the postmortem. Fair. I because at first I thought you were going to use it as a like this is why I should win. No, and then no. I was like, no, that's not big enough. No, no, it's not big enough. But I wanted to add it just as another tally mark. And um, so I just think that if we went on a couple things of like, yes, BTK is a lot like number wise a lot more. Matthew Shepherds did create like a huge societal movement, and. Is the first case we've done that we both cried. Oh, you have a very good point. I mean... Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was mostly curious about what your decision was. I've already made one. Okay, I was doing the same. I was, like, trying to be like, what is yours? Yeah, um, I think you won this one. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that... There was a foundation created, laws were changed, yours was very, very impactful to the country as a whole, and it deals with issues that, I mean, are very personal to both of us. And so, I think that gives you the win, for sure, for this episode. No, I, I agree. I, it's definitely, in a lot of cases, you can in some ways put yourself into the victim's shoes this was a case i could put myself into his shoes too much yes and i will say one fact that was very impactful to me in ways i didn't think it would and it was a small detail but it it was very soul crushing it was when you said he was found with blood covering his face except for the tear streaks and yeah. that I think is it very much defines the torture that he went through and the pain and yeah we don't have to go into it any further but it was when you said that that I was like I don't know I I can't even describe it in words because words don't describe it but it was just this emotional like it pain broke in my heart yeah no that's because I had heard I knew I I knew the, like, larger, you know, the 15,000-foot view of the case. Yeah. But there were details like that that... What do you say to that? Yeah. Well, and we talk about a lot of details and a lot of very horrific things that have happened to victims. Yeah. But I don't think we talk about details such as that that show their emotion and their pain. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? It's like... Well, it's kind of like a punch to the gut in the way that it... Because obviously the victims in all these cases are very humanized. Yeah. But just certain details like that that make it so much... They pull it out from being a story someone's telling to an experience someone had. That is a very good point. I absolutely agree. But... Okay. So, um, you can select the wine again next week, and um, I will. Um, and I definitely want to drink the rest of this wine. This was this was a lot. It was a lot. 
This wine was really good. It, I, I will say that. It was. I really it, enjoyed is, it. I will say this is definitely one that should breathe. Yeah, it needs it to breathe a little like bit. It did need, like, a couple minutes. The flavors come out more after it it's breathes. it's really good. Oh, I didn't mention the price. It was, like, 9 bucks or 10 bucks or something, whatever. Oh, yeah, pretty low. But so, anyway. Well, be sure <laughs> to like and comment and follow us on all of our social media yeah. platforms uh, facebook instagram leave us Twitter. itunes reviews yes, google play reviews if you can do that i don't have an android so i have very little knowledge of google play uh same but i do know you know please rate us on itunes and let us know your thoughts yeah all right, right. well with that uh i guess blood and wine XOXO Blood and Wine signing off. All right, bye, you guys. Bye.